How do we educate and empower our boys? Next Gen Men has the answer. It is through having curiosity, courage, empathy, and creating equity. Stay tuned for this episode of On Boys. Listeners, I know that you sometimes feel like your home is bursting with the boundless energy of your boys. Mine has been for a very long time. We want to tell you about Home Threads, where style meets the wild adventures of raising boys. At HomeThreads.com, you can find a collection of uh, furniture and home accessories designed to meet the needs of your growing boy family. They have everything from durable bunk beds to upscale gaming tables. You can turn your home into an attractive, durable playground, believe it or not. Uh, Janet and I both love their baking dishes. Solid, beautiful, functional. Anything you need for your home, you can likely find on homethreads.com. And we have a discount code for you. Go to homethreads.com slash onboys. You can get a code for 15% off your first order. Because every leap, laugh, and loud moment deserves a space that embraces the chaos with style. Home Threads, love where you live. Welcome to On Boys Parenting Podcast, the podcast that explores and explains boy behavior. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net and Janet Allison, founder of boysalive.com. This episode is brought to you by LCP Medical. LCP Medical has formulated masks that are safe and offer you and your family the highest protection possible. You know, there's COVID, but there's also lots of respiratory viruses out there, and you want to keep your families healthy this winter. So LCP Medical has comfortable face masks that have filters that you put inside of them. These filters are designed to filter out pathogens and keep you safe. They're comfortable. I wore one to a very crowded event recently and I felt so safe. It fits, you can breathe, and you know you have the highest protection for your family. That's lcpmedical.com and use the coupon code on boys to take 10% off of your order. This episode is also sponsored by Cozy. Cozy is an app that helps you sync up all of your family. So you can sync your calendars, you can sync your meal plans, your kids can add to your grocery list right there in the app. Best of all, it's free. Go to your app store and download Cozy, C-O-Z-I. Also, our guests today are also sponsoring our podcast and we'll be telling you a lot more about the course that they are offering that is going to help you become the best advocate you can be for your boy. I'll give you the info right up front. We'll be talking more about it at the end, but it is nextgenmen.ca slash shop. And if you use the Onboys coupon code, you'll get a discount at checkout. It is a fabulous course. I've been through it. It has videos. It has additional resource and curriculum. You're going to love it. But first, you got to hear from these guys, Jake and Jonathan. They are awesome. Here we go. Supporting the future, raising great boys to become great men. We talk about boys and men and masculinity on this podcast today is no different. We have Next Gen Men, a Canadian-based organization. This organization has grown from an idea between friends into an international community of folks working together to engage 
educate and empower boys and men. And I love how today's conversation has come full circle as one of our guests, Jonathan Reed, was a guest on our podcast way, way back in 2019, talking about his own podcast, Breaking the Boy Code, and his work with boys. In that podcast, he said, growing up, he was told, the way you're being a boy is not okay. He's now the program coordinator for Next Gen Men. Jake Stika is also joining us. He is the executive director of Next Gen Men. And I'm guessing he also had some confusing messages when he was growing up. Welcome, Jake and Jonathan. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So good to have you here from across the border. I love it looking at your website, talking to you, what you really offer is hope. Hope for the future of masculinity, for changing how the world sees, acts, and thinks about masculinity. But what I also love is that along with that hope is you are boots on the ground doing the work. You are out there with teachers and coaches and the boys themselves. Tell us how Next Gen Men evolved and about the work you're doing. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, I'm really glad that that's kind of what you've picked up um, from the work that we're trying to do here as well, too. Um, in kind of this landscape that we're talking here about boys and masculinity, I do feel there's a lot of people opining on it and studying it and whatnot, and, and there isn't enough boots on the ground. And so um, we're really trying to position ourselves as, let's call it, knowledge translators and, and help people bring along the journey. So um, I'm glad that that's what came out of it. As for the evolution of Next Gen Men, it's going to be our seventh birthday, and that's pretty amazing. I mean, I'm one of the co-founders, and... It's officially one of the longest things I've done in my life, other than committing to breathing and waking up every day. Um, Good work on those, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Not enough positive feedback on breathing and waking up. Um, Especially the waking up. The breathing exactly. comes relatively easy. The waking up. <laughs> exactly. Although sometimes when you get, you know, a deep yogi breath, like you, you realize how little you actually yeah. think about breathing. True. <laughs> But we started with a youth program way back in, in 2014, 2015, uh, after school for boys age 12 to 14, uh, 10 sessions, very classic approach to kind of the engagement work. A couple years into that work, we realized that we needed a community of people who cared about and supported our work. So we started uh, hosting community dialogues around gender and masculinity for people of all genders. Then eventually we learned that nonprofit is a really poor business model. Uh, so uh, we started a social enterprise called Equity Leaders, where we work in predominantly male-dominant industries uh, to better engage leaders around gender equity and, and broader diversity and inclusion uh, initiatives. And um, so that kind of uh, really created our, our buckets of work around youth community and workplaces. Um, but, you know, on the innovation and evolution side of things, this little pandemic came in the way and basically all the ways that we were doing the work before um, were taken away from us. So uh, over the last year and a half, uh, it's been uh, rapid iteration and pivoting. And, um, you know, I, I told this to Jonathan and the team, the needs of, you know, positive masculinities, healthy relationships, gender equity, mental well-being, they're not going away. The only thing that's taken away from us is how we've met those needs in the past. So we just need to keep, come up with new ways of doing that. And I'm really proud of the work that we've done uh, to do that. I want to go back to a term that you used um, early on, knowledge translators. And that resonated with me. I do a lot of work as a health writer. I started my career as a nurse. And a lot of what I do is translating, right? So here's the fancy the fancy medical language. Here's what this means in real person speak. So that was a, a professional skill set of mine. And once I had my four boys and started learning about them and then working with other people who had boys, there is so much that is knowledge translation. I mean, you see this too, right, Janet? Like Absolutely. socially, societally, in our families, there's so many misconceptions about boys and who they are and what they need. And 
of, of translating that knowledge in, in ways that people can understand that a lot of what you think you know about boys is is not the full story is such a crucial first step. Yeah, I'll quickly chime in on that and let, then let uh, Jonathan build on it because I think it's a unique talent of his. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you're on a playground, you can't yell, hey, Tommy, cut that hegemonic masculinity out. Right? <laughs> So, um, but now I want to try, (laughs) (laughs) let me know how that goes. (laughs) Um, but there's a lot of really great academia research programs and all these kinds of things out there, but, uh, without the grounding of experience and practical application, Mm -hmm. it's useless just to speak a little bit to one of our pandemic pivots, we're trying to move up a little bit of the food chain of impact rather than us um, facilitating after-school programs. We're uh, offering something called next-gen mentors for teachers, coaches, youth workers to uh, basically get our programming that we've honed over the last several years, our capacity building uh, with our online course, some of the tools that we've developed, But on top of all that, a community of practice of uh, basically a space and peers to learn and unlearn with. There's so many PDFs out there of how to run a positive masculinities boys program. You have to be highly motivated and highly skilled just to put that PDF into practice. So people need that handholding and a space to say, hey, I ran this activity. It went poorly. How do I do better? That's a a gap that we're looking to fill. But um, Jonathan would love to hear your thoughts on knowledge translation as well. I mean, the the thing that immediately comes to mind is the knowledge translation for parents and for educators. And I think we're all pretty familiar with what that looks like. Like the other piece to it and the work that I do with Next Gen Men is translating knowledge for young people themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And so for example, I mean, the hegemonic masculinity on the playground is a a good example. Um, But for example, I've had uh, numerous conversations with young people talking about consent And these like young teenage boys who say, like, I get it. I understand what it is, you know, and why it matters. I just can't figure out how I'd do that myself. Like, how would I actually, like, what would I actually say Mm -hmm. that's not too awkward? And that doesn't make me. I mean, how many of us, each one of us on this conversation, and we're various ages, we all know adults who are still struggling with that. So it's no wonder that our kids are. And those boys are so fortunate that they, have somebody like you who's willing to break it down for them. Because as Mm -hmm. a concept, yes, consent is easy. In practice, mm, not so much. Mm -hmm. I want to flag just how bad uh, it's gotten in a great example. Mask wearing. Consent around mask wearing, right? Being in spaces with other people and asking their comfort level. Would you like me to put on a mask? Would you like Mm -hmm. me to, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, talk about how we socially distance? If we can't have those conversations in the context of a global pandemic, chances are we're not having them in an intimate situation. You guys can't see me right now, but I just rub my head and lean back in my chair because that is absolutely correct, absolutely reasonable. And I have spent um far too much time at four-hour school board meetings totally missing that that's a big part of this and our kids are watching us all the time Mm. yeah Mm -hmm. all the time okay Jonathan let's let's bring it back what did you tell the the boy usually it's about practice, you know, and acknowledging that like the way that we talk about it as educators is not necessarily the actual words that you would use as a teenager yourself. So what would you say, you know, how could you, you know, broach that, um, broach that conversation. And, and it's really about actually practicing the language itself. I think young people can come up with solutions themselves if they're given an opportunity. So having the space to say, yeah, that is really hard. And I know you don't want to feel awkward when you're already feeling everything else that you're feeling in that situation and then giving them the space to sort of explore it themselves. There's no one answer, but young people will come up with solutions. Like another example is um, this young guy, Rehan, um, who he like, he like interrupted. We weren't talking about consent. We were talking about peer pressure, um, which is really intertwined with, with consent in a lot of ways, but he interrupted me. He said, Hey, can I, can I just tell everybody something? And he said, if you're in, he just, he was, he was in grade eight and he was talking mostly to a group of grade sevens. And he said, look guys, if you're in a situation where somebody's trying to pressure you into doing something you don't want to do, use humor, make it a joke because that totally takes the wind out of their sails. And he said, so if they're trying to get you to smoke, for example, tell them, nah, bro, 
I quit when I was five. And, um, and that just, that turns it into a joke. It gives you social power because you're making a joke about what they've pressured you to do in the first place. And I was like, that's an amazing idea. I wouldn't have come up with that, but giving him the space to say, I actually have an idea and I have advice for you guys um, and have a solution for you guys to navigate that social pressure. Um, yeah, that was a really cool moment. And I think that's where we as, as parents and as educators need to you use the term make space. And I absolutely agree with that. Make space and respect that mm-hmm. they're going to do it their own ways. Uh, Janet, you know, we've had uh, Ryan Wexelblatt, ADHD dude on here a couple of times. And one of the things that he says that I love, like, teenage boys, tween boys, they don't think and talk like middle-aged women. So a lot of these scripts that we adults try to feed them, they don't work on the playground. Yeah. And it's okay. And then for us as parents and as educators, being okay with and open to, you know, using humor in that instance to deflect peer pressure totally appropriate, totally okay. doesn't matter, mm-hmm. mom, if that's your preferred way of dealing with mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But that allowing him to maintain some social standing is huge to totally. his self-esteem and survival. Jonathan, you, you do a lot of work directly with boys. I remember you talking about summer camps and all of uh, facilitating different opportunities for boys to really share in a deep way. And I'm referring back to the last podcast, and I don't know if this is part of the curriculum now, but I was so moved again by this example that you gave of, of you put these different qualities around the room. Hopefully you'll remember this example and had the boys go to each quality that they wanted to have more of or or that express and there was the one boy that stood in the middle of the room can Mm. you talk about that do you remember Mm. that yeah that's always amazing when young people again find their voice and find a way to teach you something in the midst of um yeah an experience like that um essentially it was i think if i remember correctly the the what we were trying to explore in that moment was gendered expectations i think Mm -hmm. and and the way that we um, sort of get put into boxes, you know, as I, in with the binary of boys and girls. And, um, and if I remember correctly, this young guy, he said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not playing along with that narrative. And, and why can't I, why can't I be both? And th- those kinds of experiences, like, re- like I held this boys will be blank card deck up already, um, before we got started, but like those kinds of experiences are how, like how and why we develop some of these things. So this card deck is a collection of affirmations. And the idea is there are cards that say, I am strong, I'm confident, I'm decisive, but there's also cards that say I'm sensitive and loving and expressive. And, and part of that is because it's because of that young guy saying like, every part of me is valuable and I want to be more than what I've been told I can. Yeah. So that's a powerful moment. And young people do that again and again, where they take what you're, you're sort of seeking to explore and they say like, this is how it's relevant in my life. And actually I've got a thing or two to teach you about it myself. And you're giving them the space to do that, which is so important. So you are facilitating mentors to help teachers, help coaches bring this curriculum to the boys. The sort of like evolution of that has, there's been a bunch of different like influences to that strategy or that initiative, I guess. But essentially the, the main point to it is um, if we're looking for transformation in individuals' lives, first of all, that has to be more than a single workshop or more than a single presentation. And if we're looking for transformation for an entire community, really that can't come from the outside. That has to come from a champion within their own um, school community usually um, saying this matters to me and I'm going to be the anchor for this. I'm going to be the pillar of positive masculinity for the young people around me. And so the idea is, yeah, is that we're, we're training, whether it's a teacher, a child youth worker within their own school to, and, and giving them the resources to facilitate a program themselves in a way that works in their school community and res- is responsive to their like cultural needs, to their logistical mm-hmm. needs and all that kind of thing. So that's the I guess, I don't know, Jake kind of called it a pivot, but that's the shift that we've made. Um, looking for transformation, not just in the lives of young people, but also in the environments where they spend so much of their time. So when we talk about transforming a community, it occurred to me as you were talking and when Jake was talking before, next gen men, seven years old, 
on the one hand, not that old. On the other hand, um, the conversation around gender and gender equity has continued to evolve over the last seven years. The landscape has changed. Our world situation has changed. COVID, we didn't see that coming, but that's changed everything. (laughs) You use the term gender equity, and I am with you 125%, but I do see there are places where the term gender equity seems to mean girls and women. Mm -hmm. And in some places, there's pushback at any effort to include boys and men or other humans in that. Can you talk about what you've seen and experienced in that realm over the last seven years, Jake? It's a classic fallacy where the dominant group doesn't see itself in the issue, right? So when we say gender, we think women and girls. Oh, I'm a little woke. So I think of trans and non-binary folks, but rare is the person who thinks of men and boys within that, right? And we see perils, parallels within this within other identities, right? When we think race, oh, we're like, oh, people of color. No, white people are racialized as well too, right? So how do we... Um, insert uh, ourselves as the dominant narrative in the conversation. And that then removes this idea of benevolence, right? Like of, Mm -hmm. oh, we should be doing this work for the benefit of women and girls and actually makes us stakeholders in the conversations, right? Like I have a role to play in this, this impacts me. Um, And, you know, when we think about gender inequity, yeah, there's inequity among genders, but there's inequity among men as well too, right? Across differing lines. I hear from parents all the time how bath time can be such an ordeal. And yet bath time can be really fun. In fact, here in the very cold winter, we use bath time as an activity. Dabble and Dollop has got this dialed in because they have bath products that are not only natural, healthy, free of toxins, all the things we want for our kids, but they're fun. Jen, you said when your boys were young, they loved to make potions. My son, Tyler, had so much fun mixing things together, making potions, recipes. He would have loved Dabble and Dollop's Day at the Beach bath mixing set because it's a collection of soap scents and a little mixing thing and your kids can combine scents and make their own creations. It is exactly the kind of thing that can turn bath time into a fun, enjoyable, creative endeavor instead of just a fight. And I will say the bubbles have been bow tested in the bathtub and they last. They stay bubbles for a long time. Dabble and Dollop has everything from bath time shampoos, bubble baths, body washes, conditioners, lotions, bath bombs, bath toys and accessories. There's so many things to explore at Dabble and Dollop. Go to dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys to get 20% off your first order. That's dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys, 20% off for being an onboys listener. And, you know, I work in a lot of male dominant environments uh, with, with a lot of this work. We're still a culture of masculinity that is comp- competitive and dominant, right? And what that manifests to later in life from, you know, Jonathan's uh, youth to, to later in life um, is that men treat other men like garbage. And until we stop that, other people can't succeed in those spaces. Um, I'll jump in and say a really powerful question for me right now. I've had a couple of schools that I'm working with say, here's the question that our teenage boys are struggling with. Um, if their job in the hashtag me too era is to listen to women and to believe survivors. What else can they do? You know, and, and specifically where does their voice fit? If they're just supposed to be silent and listen, they feel kind of hamstrung, you know, and not Mm -hmm. sure exactly. um, Can I speak up? How do I speak up? Can I acknowledge the fact that I don't necessarily feel as powerful as I'm told that I am. And um, right now, I actually don't have the answer to that. So maybe next time I join you, I'll, you know, we'll look back on this. <laughs> I really say, wanted that answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I've, and I've been thinking about it for like a couple of weeks now of how do you give space to that? Cause I know the sensation really well. I'm a young man myself. And how do you give space to that, that feeling without, you know, opening the door to like a huge amount of anti-feminist rhetoric that really doesn't get anybody anywhere. But I think acknowledging 
that feeling is really important. And, and that's totally like a, a thing that we weren't grappling with seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. but this feeling, this experience for youth then magnifies and carries over into those workplaces, right? Cause we talk yes. about male allyship, but when we talk about male allyship, we're not actually talking about power structures and systems, right? We're, we're saying, oh, women should be uh, put on a pedestal. They should be protected. They should, you know, uh, have these benefits and whatnot, but we're not talking about closing the gender wage gap, uh, taking parental leave so that we're removing those inequitable barriers and, and normalizing that all parents are stakeholders in, in taking care of their children. Um, those are the conversations that are missing. So it's really uh, benevolent sexism that we're perpetuating, right? When we don't empower boys, which then turn into men, to be stakeholders, to be co-beneficiaries, to be co-conspirators in these conversations. My, where I've landed, and I've grappled with this question a lot, Jonathan, because I have four boys, Mm -hmm. teenagers, young adult men right now who are asking those same exact questions. And I think it is so important for us to create spaces as you are doing where boys can talk and can ask those questions even, and can say, okay, yes, I understand that listening is important, but, uh, I have thoughts too. Anybody want to hear about that? And Mm -hmm. that we, all of us need to listen to the concerns of all of our children and need to recognize that, uh, gendered expectations affect all of us in different ways. You know, Janet, you and I are women. We could name off ways in which our lives have been impacted Mm -hmm. by, by sexism, by gendered expectations. Only as a mom of boys did I begin realizing that boys are also affected by these expectations, which can be, in some cases, they can be beneficial. In some cases, they can be very harmful. Mm-hmm. I want to go back, to Jake, to what you said, because I've thought about this a lot, is this, it's the, the men dissing other men. You see it in media, like the men are portrayed as you know the buffoons or the the incompetent ones and boys do this with boys you know and and it's in the guise of oh it was just a joke and I'm Mm -hmm. just teasing and and that seems to be a place that I don't know that we're having the conversations about hopefully you are and how do we kind of tease that apart for our young boys, Jen, I'm sure you've had this experience with your boys of, you know, around the kitchen table, around the kitchen table. And it's actually not okay what you're saying right now, but it's like, oh, I was just kidding. And it's just a joke. And he knows I don't mean it. But yet that, that um, leveled uh, peer violence, if you want to call it, that is really destructive. This is the most extreme example that we'll start with to kind of play it out to. Men are the primary perpetrators of all forms of violence, period. Remove gender-based violence from that equation. Men are also the number one victims of all forms of violence, right? Mm-hmm. That's the most radical uh, mm-hmm. space we could play it out into. But what that manifests into in the locker room is how we rib each other. We see the mm-hmm. Chicago Blackhawks going through uh, the, the sexual assault stuff right now in, in hockey. And, and that's the NHL. That happens in all the leagues below that as well, too, in those yeah. conditioning spaces. I was a former semi-pro athlete myself and, and you know spent lots of time in lots of locker rooms. Those are not spaces conducive to healthy male friendships often. In some twisted capacity, it often turns out into that, but there's a lot of uh, competition and violence in those spaces as well, too. We think about the bar. You know, I worked as a doorman on and off for 10 years, and the amount of times that you would break up a scuffle because someone stepped on someone's shoe, right? And they had to posture in and around that, right? that amplifies over a period of time. But our kind of theory around this from day one with the youth program was you tell a 12 to 14 year old boy, hey, you have uh, power, you have, you know, these kinds of things within this society. And they look around and they say, I don't have any power. My mom tells me what to do. My teacher tells me what to do. My coach tells me what to do. And so they start practicing it among their little friends group. And the way they do it is through differentiation, race, sexuality, gender, those kinds of things. 
those seeds of that ribbing, that teasing, that play fighting, um, when kind of unaddressed in a lens of like healthy relationships and like actually trying to be there for one another, share emotions, have healthy communication, um, it, it festers. So this is the big, big, big challenge. And I know we're not going to solve it immediately. And I know this is something that you are actively working at, you know, Jonathan, you're working with these 12 to 14 year old Mm -hmm. boys. My challenge as a parent raising my boys through that age is even if you see that and you can see how that's harmful and why you may want to, you know, interrupt that dynamic and replace it with, you know, some, some healthier relationship skills and positive masculinity, these kids are living in the world as it is today Mm -hmm. and navigating those spaces that haven't yet changed is so challenging. So Jonathan, how do we help the, you know, the 12 to 14 year olds who are in it right now? Yeah. Yeah. For, for humor, I think an important lesson to share with young people. Um, I got this from Peggy Orenstein. You've probably read boys and sex and, yep. and, and on she, the show. yeah, totally. And she, she has a piece where she talks about humor. And the thing that she points out is often transgressive humor. The point of transgressive humor is to be transgressive. And um, that transgression relies on the dehumanization of the subject of the joke. And so if, so in her example is, um, I don't know if you actually, you, you probably, um, Jen, you probably have heard of dead baby jokes. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And so her example is that's only funny. So for anybody who doesn't know, they're just jokes that are sort of like intentionally gross and, um, awful. And, um, she said, that's only funny if you can't actually imagine the experience of, of losing an infant. And so similarly, like jokes about trans folks, jokes about absent fathers, like all those kinds of jokes are only really that funny if you're able to set aside the fact that those are real people that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so, and her point really is that it's less about the joke itself, but more about the habit. Because if your habit is the dehumanization of others, that's where those jokes normalize um, and then lead to further acts of violence. Um, so so that, that would be like a lesson for me with young people is that I'm not really upset about the joke. Um, you know, and maybe it is harmful to somebody specific in the room. Um, and there'll be some repair that we need to do about that. But what I really want to address is the habit that we might be participating in. For safety, uh, that's a really good question. And this is something that, you know, that probably parents have been talking about for a really long time is, you know, I'd love to be all soft and, you know, and gentle and, you know, my boy can be anything that he wants to be, but the fact is he lives in the real world and his peers aren't necessarily going to treat him with that kindness and that gentleness. His teachers might not. And anywhere that he goes as a boy and a young man might not be safe. And so maybe my job as a, as a parent is to prepare him for that reality. And I think there's a bit of legitimacy to that. Um, but what I would say, because it's right, you know, that not every space is safe, but what I would say is the, that in the, in the light of that knowledge, in the light of that realism is that just means it's that much more important that 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 each boy has access to a relationship at the very least if not an actual space a group or a peer group um but at the very least a relationship where he's known and and that can say to him regardless of anything else that happens maybe it's me as your parent maybe it's mm-hmm. you know your coach but this person knows you they know your best qualities, and they're not going to give up on you or write you off because of some other way that you've acted in some other space. Mm -hmm. So for example, right now, I'm in touch with a 13 year old who just got arrested two nights ago. And he got arrested for some pretty serious violence. And I'm trying to get I'm in the process of getting in touch with, you know, working with his mom to get in touch with his lawyer to be a character witness, because I can say to him, to the court, you know, into the crown. I know this young guy and I know that he's actually been trying to get out of the situation of gang lines that he's stuck in for the past couple months. He's feeling really stuck. I know that he um, is feeling really scared, you know, and that he has had his life threatened. And so what he's done is his best attempt to protect himself. And that doesn't define who he is as a person. And, you know, and in the scope of like the legal, you know, the justice system trying to um, avoid criminalizing a young person just for the reality of the space that they're in. Mm -hmm. Anyways, that's like, that's a bit of a bigger conversation and that's a really complex process and a difficult situation. But the point that I'm trying to make is that even in the worst situation that you can imagine and the easiest opportunity to write off a young person and say, he's not good for anything, 
someone who knows that young person and has held that young person and been through experiences alongside that young person can say there's more to it than that. You brought tears to, to my eyes. I mean, that is so powerful that you can be there for that boy. And, you know, as much as I love you, there's nothing magic about you. Anybody mm-hmm. can be that person mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. for a young boy. We, our society right now in general, I think is very quick to judgments uh, uh, on anything and it's very black or white, but so many of our boys, our men, frankly, all of us, right, are doing the best that we can with the tools mm-hmm. that we have in the circumstances we're in to recognize that that whatever happened the other night that resulted in the arrest, that is not the sum total of this human being. And mm-hmm. maybe we should, maybe we should look at the human being and invest in that. Mm-hmm. And this is what? such a good reminder to parents of any age, wipe those eyes, Jen, you're going to make I me am. cry too. I am. Um, yeah. But this is such a good reminder, even of, you know, younger boys of that we are their witness. We are their historians. We are the Mm. reminders of this is who you are. This is the quality I see in you. You know, as you're saying that one thing that I have seen happening with mothers, especially maybe more so mothers than fathers as mothers, as women, we are so conscious of all the things that came before. And then me too happened. Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, we all know the story, right? And so we look at our sons, no way in hell am I going to raise, and we're scared, we're terrified that we're going to raise a bad guy. And sometimes I see moms being very quick to assume that a boy who does X, Y, or Z, and you know what, maybe he did say something inappropriate at school or to, you know, uh, posted something online that Lord knows he shouldn't have. And so like, overreact because we're forward projecting that this one action means he is going to be one of those bad guys. And what I think I hear you saying, Janet, and you, Jonathan, and I'm extrapolating a little bit is they really like, yes, we can call them out on their behavior and we can talk about the behavior, but they need to know that we still have faith in their basic humanity and goodness. Something that I learned from uh, Adrian Marie Brown's uh, essay, We Will Not Cancel Us, is that we have collapsed harm and abuse into the same experience. And everyone causes harm, right? It, inadvertently, you know, yeah. I, I bumped you, I said the wrong thing, I, I, whatever, right? I think we need to create space for young people to experience those mistakes and to point them out and learn from that, which is distinctly different than abuse, which to Jonathan's earlier point is that pattern, right? Mm -hmm. I don't actually care about the joke. I care about the pattern of Mm -hmm. dehumanizing, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do we keep our conversations, our corrections, our learnings and unlearnings around, you know, having the empathy and the space for harm, because we just We live in a society where there's lots of ways to hurt other people and make sure it doesn't turn into patterns of abuse. That's such a good point. Such a good point. I want to talk about uh, uh, boys and anger and how anger is the, can be the front facing emotion for so many other things. Jonathan, can you speak to that? One of my like mantras I think comes from Dan Kinlan and Michael Thompson, um, which is that as parents and educators, like we have, we have, it's something like we've got, we've got to not take a boy at face value, even if he might insist furiously that we do so. And yeah. And I think that anybody listen like this, listen to this podcast for a while will know um, that like empathy is one of our greatest tools. Um, that anger is a really, I guess, integral part of the gender socialization process for for boys and young men. Okay, I'll say one thing that I'm learning recently um, that's relatively new for me is understanding trauma and how that can manifest in anger. And um, I know I have an 11-year-old that I have known for quite a while now, and he has been diagnosed with disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. And I'm not really clear that that diagnosis has has been made with a really trauma-informed approach because he's had a pretty abusive childhood and it's now thankfully not living in that situation anymore, but it's 
it's it's had and what i've learned is that that process can have a really big impact on your brain architecture and it can really yes. affect your um well it can result in affect dysregulation which is where you are really quick to respond and once you're in that response state it can be your you know your amygdala for example is 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 in the driver's seat and not your for example your prefrontal cortex that's just one example of the point that is is and the point is that we've got to look way we've got to look past the anger yeah. and try to find out what's the feeling um that's that's motivating those words or those actions mm -hmm. and it's hard it's hard especially i think uh, you know i work a lot mostly with moms but some dads and and it's scary it's scary mm -hmm. for moms you know their boys are bigger than they are stronger than they are they're punching holes in the wall and that's the immediate, like, I got to deal with this, the, my own fear mm -hmm. and safety and his safety. And, and it, it does take work to get underneath that, that that's their outward expression. That's not really what's going on and trying to un, untangle what is really going on. Is there trauma? Is there, you know, it's shame, it's embarrassment, it's everything shows up as anger can yeah. show up as anger. I think in the moment, like responding with safety in mind totally makes sense. And um, I kind of in response to what you just said is that I think it's important to remember that like shame and anger can create a bit of a cycle. You know, when a young person is heated, there's a lot of noise there. There's a lot of emotional noise that's going to prevent them from thinking clearly and engaging in, you know, a conversation. When about I'm that, but heated, I have a hard time yeah. engaging <laughs> and taking in anything. I'm just, yeah. I need to almost burn that all through before I can take in anything else. Yeah. But to remember that as powerful as the anger is, the shame afterwards can be as powerful. Yeah. Anger is a hammer. And when you think of it as like, they are just using the only tool they have in their tool belt, right? Like when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? And you're just going to swing that and, and that's what you're going to use. They've been robbed of having a screwdriver or a wrench. Uh, right. And that's language for I'm upset. I'm feeling shame. I'm embarrassed. Right. It is scary in those moments when you're dealing with anger, but if you can just think about it as, okay, this may be the only tool this person has, how can I hand them a new tool to use it differently? And in many cases, they only saw their dads and uncles and grandpas solve every problem with a hammer. Oh, I got this hammer. We'll just tighten that up mm -hmm. right there. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. it perpetuates. Also with that, let's talk about shame a little bit because this comes up and i think it's kind of one of those kind of vague nebulous things of like how do we speak to it how do we talk them out of feeling shame and i know we you know you can't do that but how how do you work with shame with your with the boys for me that's a really great question and for me something that again i'm sort of recently grappling with um came out of a conversation with Studio 180 Theater. Um, one of the other panelists that, that was sort of alongside me is Heather from A Bad Subject, which is an organization in Toronto that talks about consent. And I don't think Heather came up with this phrase, but it was the first time I heard it and it was metabolizing shame. And, and the idea is that you don't get out of shame, you process it and you're, you break it down, you understand it, and then you move forward. And I think that we don't have enough opportunities, even as adults, to adequately metabolize shame, to understand what it's what we're feeling and to process. And that's even becoming more difficult, you know, with with, for example, like cancel culture, where mm -hmm. as soon as you've or Jen, you kind of touched on this, but like as soon as you've you've done something wrong, that's it. And there's no space there to um, yeah, to really process. So I have to look more deeply into that, but I think that. First of all, Heather, and if, I think that's going to get posted online. So, but Heather had really great things to say about the advice that Heather's given, um, I think, a younger brother about that process of metabolizing shame. Wow. Um, so I have to look more into that, but that's that's where my head is at right now. I think this is so important what's happening here, Jonathan, and I so appreciate you bringing forth these things of like, I'm still, I'm grappling with this. I'm mm -hmm. thinking about this because this is, we are making history right here and now. This is mm -hmm. not something that we're, you know, rehashing from the past. This is evolving 
daily. And I mean, you've, you've brought new terms that I've, I've never heard of metabolizing shame before. And this notion of harm and abuse and learning and unlearning all these things. It's like, this is, this is current stuff. We are Mm -hmm. in it. I love that next gen men is having the conversations and moving this forward and um, educating all of us in the process. Jen and I talk about this every week and we're still, we're like, Ooh, tell me more. I want to know more about this. <laughs> Haven't thought about that. So it is so just in the moment and ever evolving. I know that you have recently uh, started offering some online courses to help people uh, understand boys, uh, effectively interact with boys, parent boys. Jake, can you tell us about, you know, your courses, what you have offered and how these help parents? Our new online course, uh, Raising Next Gen Men, is a passion project of uh, Mr. Jonathan Reed. So I'll let him explain it a bit more. <laughs> it's about giving parents in, uh, a footing in, in the field of, of boyhood masculinity, understanding what are we talking about when we talk about gender, culture, what boys experience as they grow up. An example is one of the things that we tackle is the idea of toxic masculinity, What are the problems with that term? Why does it polarize people? What are its limitations? And why don't we at Next Gen Men use that term at all? And, um, you know, for, and I'll just, I get, I'll put the teaser that the term that we have, that I usually have in my mindset is precarious masculinity, which is the idea that boys and young men have to prove themselves because exactly. And I think that that unlocks a lot more than just, um, sort of focusing on toxicity. So it's about, it's about understanding, um, boys and masculinity and then, and it's sort of accompanied with, uh, stories, tips, and sort of more practical pieces from, like you said, on the ground work with boys and young men. I would highly recommend this course for anybody who is parenting a boy right now or working with boys. This is what I really needed somebody to hand me when I ended up with four boys. Nobody taught me or told me anything about, you know, the unique challenges that boys face in the world. I had to seek out and learn all that information myself. And that's possible, but it's also really, really time consuming. And (laughs) you guys are a reliable source who have put together the time you've collated this information. You've made it easily accessible. Take advantage of this parents. Mm -hmm. And of course, we're offering you a discount when you use the on voice code. And we'll tell you more about that at the end of the show. This is just a great way in to having the conversation. And maybe you want to join with another boy mom or another boy Mm. family and do the course together and create your own unique community space about that. And then who knows, maybe you'll take it into the school or spread this out around your own community and go global. Every country, every place is grappling with these questions. And you, you guys, you next gen men have provided a touchstone for the information and the action that we, you know, we can talk all day long, but it's got to get down to the practical action. And, and you're doing it through this course and through all the work that you're doing, you're mentoring and, uh, your passion, your, you know, we need you. Yeah, well, I could, I mean, I'll say that right back at the two of you. You've been a bit of a touchstone in this conversation for a long time. So I appreciate all the conversations you've brought together. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're just feel like the facilitators. So as we close our time together, give us just one bit of hope for the future. Give us some, something we can kind of just go away with and ponder. The hope that I always see is in the youth that uh, Jonathan and, and our youth uh, coordinators work with. I'm in my mid thirties. And so these boys are, you know, 20 years younger than me. They're so much smarter and better off than I was at their age. If we can keep that generational movement moving forward, uh, there's hope for all of us. Thanks, Jake. How about you, Jonathan? I think I'll have to share a text that I got at uh just around eight o'clock this morning from a young person who I've been working with for a bit less than a year and kind of out of the blue, he texted me and said, you are a great friend and I love you very much. I'm glad I found you. Yeah. The hope there is that 
in our relationships with young people, we can make a difference in their lives. And the difference that we make becomes a ripple. Not only did you make that difference through your work with this young boy, you empowered him enough that he felt comfortable telling you that that's huge. That is things evolving and changing in process. I don't know. I get text messages from young people. Now, to be fair, they're ones I birthed and raised and yelled at over the years. And it's things like, hey, when are we eating? And can you pick me up from school? So you're doing something really right, Jonathan. That's funny. I appreciate it. (laughs) Oh, man, the reality, the reality, the many realities of our boys. Jake and Jonathan, thank you so much for being with us. And our listeners can find you at nextgenmen.ca. And And you can find the course on there as well. It's very easy. But Jake, if you want to give them more directions to where specifically to find the course. Yeah, nextgenmen.ca slash shop. It's also in the header of the website. You'll find Raising Next Gen Men there and use the code ONBOYS. If you can't find it, feel free to drop us a note and we will send you the direct link. Thank you so much for all of the work that you do, all of the adults that you inspire and all of the boys' lives that you are touching to create a better future for all of us. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, if it was useful, please share with a friend and please support our sponsors. That helps us keep bringing you these vital conversations. Don't forget that you can get the Next Gen Men course that I've done it. I've gone through the whole thing. It's incredible. It is packed with information, resources, and you will learn something new. I guarantee it. You can take $50 off of the course price makes it just $99 for you using the ONBOYS coupon code, no space, just ONBOYS. And don't forget LCP Medical for those masks that are going to keep you safe. And Cozy, that app, get yourself organized. All right, this is Janet. And for both of us, Jen and I, we thank you. We are grateful to all of our listeners. As we continue to grow this podcast globally, you are helping us do that. And we are so grateful. Thank you. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.